0: Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our studies in the life of Christ and particularly uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and we'll be looking at verses 33 through 37 this morning and the title is, Is Your Word Good? Is Your Word Good? Jesus has been showing contrasts between what the scribes and the pharisees say and what they taught versus what jesus taught and we've already looked at uh, the comparison between what the scribes and pharisees taught and jesus taught on anger on adultery and on marriage so this is the fourth contrast this morning made by jesus here now it might not seem like it's that big of a deal You know, when you compare it to the last three that dealt with, like I said, marriage, murder, and adultery. This contrast here between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus has to do with the mouth, with words. This subject is a lot more important than we think. Why? Because it has to do with the character of our words. People learn a lot about us by the things that we say, what we say, and the words that we use to say it. Jesus taught that our conversation should be so honest and our character so true that we don't need to exaggerate or to swear, you know, to to get people to, to believe us. Words are believed or rejected based on a person's character. Their honesty, their reputation, and our character should be so true that we don't have to again embellish the truth, exaggerate to get people to believe us. So, you know, we don't need to make oaths. We don't need to swear on our uh, swear to God, swear upon our children, our mother's grave. And how many times have you heard that to get somebody to believe you? They swear on everything they can think of. Well, you know, I guess they don't think that they're going to be believed or their reputation is such that, you know, they got to go through all these gyrations to get you to, to believe what they're saying. But, you know, another thing, they, they make up those things and they do all that swearing because of poor character. Proverbs ten nineteen says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. The more words that we speak... The more words a man uses to convince us of what he's saying, it causes more suspicion. The more suspicious we should be. Here in our lesson this morning, Jesus was emphasizing the importance of telling the truth. You see, people were breaking vows. And they were using spiritual language casually and carelessly. Keeping vows and keeping promises is important. Because you see, it builds trust. And it makes human relationships possible. Nothing will destroy relationships and your credibility faster than a lie. Man, you will lose your reputation really quick if you are caught in a lie. I've been sorry many times for the things that I've said over the years. But I've never been sorry for what I didn't say. Now, our spoken words, Oh, uh, old Quaker proverb says this, Of our spoken words, you are the master's. Of your, spoken word, of your unspoken words, you are the masters. Of your spoken words, you are the servant. And of the written words, you are the slave. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5, Solomon said, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, because it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Here Solomon warns his readers about making foolish promises to God. And in Israelite culture, making vows was a serious thing. Vows were made voluntarily, but once they were made, they were not to be broken. And it's foolish to make a vow that you can't keep or play games with God by only partially fulfilling your vow. Proverbs 20 verse 25 says it is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vow. You know, to make a promise and then to go back on it. It's foolish to do that. Um, it's better not to vow, Scripture says, than to make a vow to God and then break it. If you make a vow, you are to keep it. We are to keep our word when it comes to God and to one, to one another. The Bible condemns making vows or taking oaths casually. That is giving your word while knowing all the time you're really not going to keep it. You know, gi- giving your word, but not meaning it. Or swearing falsely in God's name. Vows, now, now, vows are needed in certain situations only because we live in a sinful society that creates distrust. Somebody swearing or making oaths was, was some, something that was important to our Lord. Somehow it was, it was important. Or he wouldn't have spent so much time talking about it in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, always remember, Jesus did not waste his time talking about trivial things. From Genesis to Revelation, there's nothing written that is just fill in or excess or, or just, just for the fun of it. Every word in God's word is important or it wouldn't be there. So remember, Jesus didn't waste his time talking about things that weren't important. Jesus only involved himself with important things that directly affected uh, the glory of God and concerned the eternal welfare of man's soul. You know, that that a man would go to, to, to heaven because Jesus took the time in his Sermon on the Mount here to deal with the matter of the character of our words, we have to consider it must be important. If Jesus took the time to write it and talk about it, it must be important. The importance of the character of our speech, the way that we talk, the words that we use, is also emphasized by the fact that not only does Jesus himself deal with the subject so do the scriptures throughout the Bible and especially in Proverbs. I don't know if you've ever noticed, if you've ever read Proverbs and, and read it slowly and taking the time to study it. Proverbs is really a book on communication. And in Proverbs, you will hear the words ear, mouth, tongue, lips and words over and over and over again. It is a great book on communication, what to say, what not to say, how to say it and all, and all of that. Great book on communication. Ecclesiastes five seven Solomon said, "For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity." Proverbs five five nineteen He said, "In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise." And these are just a few of the uh, of the counsels that we read in the book of Proverbs. A person who is wise knows how to keep his mouth shut. And he knows when it's time to speak. In and, and Ecclesiastes, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And we need to know and learn the, and, and when, when to discern the times to speak and the times not to. And when you think about what Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty six and 37, he said, and that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it. In the day of judgment, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Then this subject about our speech is really important. Now, it's really obvious today that our society does not think much about the way they talk. The words that they use today in their conversations Foul speech is so common today. It's the norm. And and, and nobody seems to be concerned about the the words that they use. And there doesn't seem to be much protest about the foul language that we hear every day. It is so commonplace. And I remember as a young boy growing up that men respected the way they talked. That is, at least in front of women, not anymore. But again, I think women may have kind of shot themselves in the foot with wanting to, to you know, be like men and get involved in, in men's sports and just want to compete with men. And men have just gotten to the point where, we you know what, you want to be like a man? Well, you know, we, we talk to you like a man. You know, I remember when I used to work in a secular workplace. And I remember one day uh, I, I opened a, a door for a lady who was carrying a big piece of equipment. And I opened it and she goes, I don't need your help. And just as cold and blatant, I said, okay, fine. But it's gotten to a place where, you know, I think men have just said, well, what the heck? I'm going to use that language and and not bother them. So, again, it's a sad thing today because, you know, as a little boy, I was taught to to respect women, you know, and to to use the right language and to be polite. But we don't see that anymore. And so it's a sad thing today. But, again, uh, foul speech is very common today. Uh, so uh, you know i don't know if you just heard recently uh on on monday uh, the supreme court allowed a vulgar sounding name to be used by a guy a clothing designer who was trying to obtain a trademark the f word is accepted and used frequently in daily conversation today, even by women who who you never used to hear them use that word Two baseball players, two pro baseball players this past week, and we're fined for cussing out a reporter uh, this past, using the F word. It's used in, it's used all the time. An author who wrote a book with the F word in the title was being interviewed for the book. Not because of the F word, but just for the book. It's no big deal anymore. But this is kind of what Jesus is talking about here. The words that we use and and... and you know, swearing to God and all of these things. Let's look at verse 33 now as we begin our study. Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. So the subject here is about oath taking or swearing, whatever you want to call it. Now, an oath is any speech calling on God to to prove and suggest the truth about what is said. How many times, you know, we said something, I remember back in the world, when I'd say something, I'd I'd say, I'd follow it with, I swear to God, man, I swear to God. You know, to kind of emphasize, to get get that person to believe me. And so any oath is any speech calling on God to prove and suggest the truth about what is being said. You know, we usually think of an oath as, you know, putting our hand on the Bible and, and, and swearing that you'll promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, when we see that in the courtroom or we see it in some other serious situation. And, and that and that really is an oath. This is not the sin of cursing, specifically, that, that, you know, this is talking about. But it does turn into cursing. It turns into profanity, as I'll explain as we go on. So, We usually think of an oath, like I said, as putting on hand on the Bible and and swearing to God. Uh, And again, this is not the sin of cursing per se, but the sin of using oaths to support something that was said and is true. In other words, the Pharisees used all kinds of tricks to get around the truth and oaths were one of them. What they would do is they would avoid using the holy name of God, but they would come close. They would come close by, by, by using the city of Jerusalem, you know, swearing by Jerusalem. They wouldn't swear by God. They wouldn't use his name, but they'd swear by Jerusalem or they'd swear by heaven or they'd swear by earth or some part of the body. But you see, an oath can also be what we call cursing. An oath can be words like, like, like I swear to God or you know, Jesus Christ. Or, 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 or again, cussing is just an everyday thing in people's conversation the oath is used to establish the truth of a witness. In an everyday casual setting, an oath includes profanity that's that's thrown into a conversation to make an emphasis on what is being said. Now, in this contrast Jesus is making here, Jesus emphasizes the problem of oath-taking in our common everyday conversations specifically the problem with profanity like and that is taking the lord's name in vain now in some of the previous contrast that we've looked at jesus quoted about the teaching of the religious leaders was an actual quote from the law of moses okay he he, he gave an actual quote thou shalt not murder for example but the actual quote itself wasn't something that jesus was against He wasn't against the quote, thou shalt not murder, but it was something he used to show how the religious leaders had perverted its meaning. But here, the quote that Jesus gave isn't found directly in the scripture. Instead, it came from the perverted teaching of the religious leaders of that day, which was based more on tradition than on the word of God. Again, while it wasn't a direct quote from scripture, this quote by Jesus is definitely related to several Old Testament scriptures. It's related to the third commandment that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, Exodus 20 verse seven. Oath taking or swearing, which this quote is about, involves the name of God. So it involves the matter of using the name of God but using it correctly, or it would be the same as profanity. So this quote by Jesus was definitely related to the third commandment, which was Exodus 20, verse seven. Plus, the quote was also related to the law given in Leviticus nineteen twelve that says, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your Lord. I am your God, Leviticus nineteen twelve. So there are two sins involved here in what Jesus is talking about. There's the sin of lying. And then the other sin is the watering down of the word of God or the limiting of the word of God. One is specified, is straight out mentioned, and the other one is suggested. Suggested. Now, the lying sin is clearly stated in this quote here by Jesus about the religious leaders teaching. They just lied. The other one was they watered down the word. They watered down uh, the quote, making it a sin. But that's the issue, again, that Jesus was bringing up in the contrast. The lying sin is the sin of perjury, lying under oath. That needed to be condemned. Now, Jesus doesn't criticize the the religious leaders' opposition to perjury. That was Moses' law. And Jesus, in these contrasts, he's not arguing with Moses, but only with the way the religious leaders taught and practiced it. Lying needs to be stopped. It needs to be condemned. But lying today, man, it is such a common everyday problem. And nobody thinks much about it. Nobody thinks twice about lying today, you know, if it will get them what they want. If it will get them what they're after. I read something that was entitled, Are We All Little Liars? How Lying Has Become Socially Acceptable. And the article says, the brain's task is inherently taught to create the greatest chance of winning. Liars get what they want personally and professionally. They avoid punishment. They win others' affection. Liars make themselves sound smart and savvy and attain power over those of us who believe them. Many liars don't see the harm in doing it unless caught. And many more take pride in getting away with it. We have all been afflicted, or I should say, affected by lies in one way or another. We've been the liar at times, and we've been the one that's been lied to. Now, whether it's a lie told to embellish, you know, make one's character greater, or make their social status greater, or if it's a lie to cover up a, a deception, or it's a lie that's told to, uh, because they're afraid that the truth is going to cause more pain, the consequences are more often than not devastating. Lying is never any good. Now we've been witnesses. Uh, we, we've been witness to cheating in relationships or exams in sports, and almost always, if caught, the fallout can be damaging: betrayal, heartbreak, divorce removed from school, kicked off the team, all of these things stemming from the the, the conscious decision to lie. And then in the end, the truth is always more powerful than the lie. When dishonesty inevitably leads to emotional injury and disappointment for everybody involved. So why do we lie? The truth about lying is that we begin lying almost as soon as we can speak. We would tell dad that mom said it's okay to have that piece of candy. We know how to go to one who will say yes and the other one who will say no or vice versa. Oh yeah, Mom, yeah, Mom, uh, mom said I could have that candy, dad. Okay, so he believes it and so there it goes. We would tell dad that mom said it's okay to have the candy. It was almost instinctual for us to do that. We did it to get what we wanted. And, and, but we were too young to understand the consequences of lying. In high school, I would, you know, frequently lie to my parents about where I, where, where I was going, what I was going to be doing, you know. Going to some party or, or you know, that, that they didn't want me to go to or do something that they didn't want me to do. And, you know, but that, that was just a way of life, you know. And, and otherwise, you know, you wouldn't get to go and you'd be all bummed out, but... Hey, whatever, whatever it took, you know, we're going to lie. Lying is a learned behavior, and it's often developed from being from childhood, from childhood experiences. And, and sometimes our parents there weren't the best models because you know they'd lie and or they'd tell us to lie about something, and and, and it, we'd learn how to do that. It became a trait. So as our and, and our first role models. Uh, you know, we're led and bred by example. If you come home, if you come from a home where you're taught it's better to, to profa- pro- portray a perfect, you know, facade rather than acknowledge the truth with flaws and all, most likely deception and de- dishonesty is what's going to follow you. And lying becomes a way to survive. It's a survival skill acknowledging the truth means contributing It means it might confront pain you know it might mean disappointment and yet as you've grown and matured you hopefully the morals and the values you've acquired along the way you know weigh more than the desire to to go and do the thing that that you shouldn't do our society is bombarded with lying today i mean we're going to hear all kinds of it in elections i tell you you know, and, and and not all politicians. I can't make, but you know, there's a lot out there that will tell you whatever they they want you to hear, so that you will get the vote or they will get the vote. They will not hesitate to lie. Business dealings. A lot of business dealings involves a lot of lying, unfortunately, deceit. You know, and car salesmen. They have a bad rep. No offense, if you're a car salesman, but a lot of them have a bad rep. You know, they're notorious for lying. Um, insurance salesmen no offense but uh you know these are some things even pastors i saw a list where even pastors are on it so we're part of that group where where some we just don't believe us sometimes but they don't have good reputations either lying can be such a a destructive and devious thing you know people lie by not coming straight out in line but but a roundaboutness. you know skirting the truth and sometimes they lie while, while telling the truth because they simply don't tell all of the facts. So a wrong impression is made. A wrong impression is left with the individual even though what they said was true. But understand, a half-truth is a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. And then people lie by exaggerating. They feel they have to embellish the truth in order to get people to believe them, to believe what they're saying. People have been lying about st- statistics for as long as we can remember. Now you can make numbers, you can make statistics, say whatever you want. And I love something that Pastor Xavier says, he says, "Figures sure can lie." And he said, "Liars sure can figure." So, you know, you can make them do whatever they want. The problem of dishonesty even is seen in reporting church statistics. That's almost as common a problem as, as as you know lying politicians. The lying needs to be condemned. The problem dishonesty is, is 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 not good. Now Jesus is not against condemning perjury or lying in any situation. That's not the issue here. In the contrast, is profanity. That is the problem. Jesus wasn't against the opposition to perjury in, in the in the the creed of the religious leaders. What he was against and would severely condemn was the profanity in the oaths and the religious leaders' failure to oppose and condemn it as they should. You see, their emphasis on perjury and ignoring or playing down the profanity problem resulted in a lot of profanity as we're going to see next. Look at verses 34 through 36 now. Jesus said, but I, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, uh, for it is his footstool, nor by, the, by Jerusalem, for it is the city of God, or city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. So after reciting the basic creed of the religion of the scribes and the Pharisees about oath, Jesus then proceeds to condemn the evil of their creed. The problem with the evil in their creed was that it encouraged and increased the habit of profanity. Anytime you stop condemning sin, it is going to increase. It's going to continue to move on, to grow on. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. If you don't do something about sin, it will increase. So when the religious leader's failure to not do anything or not to do much about condemning profanity... It resulted in oath-taking becoming a very common thing. So so Jesus did some serious condemning of this profanity, which had become a frequent problem among men. Now, taking an oath did require mentioning God's name. Deuteronomy 6.13 says this, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. Now, the Israelites were clearly told that that when they were making an oath, they were to use Jehovah's name. But anytime you use God's name, you have to be careful that you don't use it disrespectfully or else you'll be guilty of profanity. That is taking his name in vain. So the oath was to be of such character that it didn't take the name of God in vain. The oaths were were to be limited to the serious and solemn occasions and not to be used flippantly in everyday conversations. But it's it's been the habit and is the habit of men in every age that, that oaths show up in common conversation every day. It wasn't just in a courtroom. Or a situation of some kind or some legal situation where an oath was spoken. But it was in casual, everyday conversation. And it's in this common conversation that the oaths were spoken became nothing but profanity. Again, it's like our use when we say, I swear to God. Now, when the Jews didn't emphasize, when the Jews did not emphasize the condemnation of profanity in their oath-taking... But concentrated on perjury, they didn't come up, uh, they did come up with some, you know, crafty ways to help keep the profanity problem in the background. Of course, that's where they wanted to keep it. So that they were able to know, in, in a lot of oaths, in everyday conversation, without feeling guilty of profanity. You see, instead of using the name of God in their oaths, they would use heaven, in the name of heaven or earth. In the name of earth. You know, they would use some other thing than God's name and taking an in oath. But Jesus attacked this sneaky deviation. And he said, you know what? It, it doesn't, he said, by doing this, it doesn't eliminate the profanity. He said, You're not to swear by heaven. Why? It's God's throne. And you're not to swear by the earth. Why? It was his footstool. And they were not to swear by Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the city of the great king, God. And Jesus said they were not to swear even by their own head. Why? Because you cannot make one hair white or black. So these statements made by Jesus broadened the application of profanity quite a bit. It turned a lot of things into profanity that they didn't think was profane. And people needed this broadening just like they did in the other areas of contrast. The scribes and the Pharisees were persistently limiting or watering down the application of God's commands. So they did this because it allowed them to do a lot of evil things. And in doing the evil, they thought, ha, we're not guilty of breaking any of the laws because we're not using God's name. You know, we're using heaven and all those. But Jesus said, no, you're still guilty of profanity. And a lot of people today are still limiting or watering down the application of God's commands when it comes to this subject of profanity. You know, as Christians, we won't use the Lord's name in vain. We won't use the obvious word, but we have our own Christian cuss words, which in what Jesus is saying here is still profane. Gosh darn it. We know where that is. Dang it oh geez, heck no, we know what those are substitutes for, but we're not saying the word, but you know, again, Jesus was looking at the heart, we know what's being said in the heart, though we're not saying the words verbally, these words are all derivatives of God and Jesus, now you may be thinking, you got to be kidding, me! you're getting a little legalistic, well, This is exactly what Jesus was saying to the scribes and the Pharisees here. You may not be using Jesus' name or God's name per se, but you are using substitutes to get around not using his name in vain. When Jesus cleans up the language, he does a thorough job. Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You see, the Jews' sneakiness to skirt around the profanity problem had some really hypocritical and ridiculous rules. For example, you could take an oath by the temple, but you couldn't take an oath by the gold on the temple. And when taking oath, they would draw these lines, these fine lines of distinction that could possibly invalidate their their oath. If someone swore by the temple or by the altar of the temple, oh, it didn't mean anything to them. So while they thought you know that they were making an oath, they inwardly had no intention of keeping it. But if somebody swore by the gold of the temple or the gift on the altar, he would be bound by the oath. But Jesus, hey, you guys are are wrong. He says, You're wrong in suggesting that the gold was greater than the temple and that the gift was greater than the altar. Because Jesus pointed out that any oath based on the temple or things in it was binding because guess what? The one behind the temple was God. He was the God of the temple. He was the God of everything in the temple. They could also swear by the altar, but not by the sacrifice on the altar. But towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus exposed all of that nonsense as being nothing but perverted teaching, A twisting of the teaching. Again, lying or limiting it, watering it down. Jesus showed the nonsense of the reasoning. And he showed that it was all a sneaky way of allowing sin to be practiced under the appearance of acceptable behavior so that they wouldn't be condemned by their religion. And when Jesus exposed these hypocritical practices, he didn't use tender words. He called the religious leaders out. He said, you fools and blind because of their sneaky definitions of profanity. Verse 37. Jesus made it very clear. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no for whatever is more than these is from the evil. And just, you know, just a simple yes, a simple no. That's all we should have to say for someone to believe us. So after Jesus condemns the speech of, of the scribes and the Pharisees that, as being wrong and sinful, he gives them the correct, uh, correct way of speaking when it came to simple conversation and the guaranteed truth of what we say. What he's saying is in your everyday conversation, uh, he says the proper way to emphasize the truth is by simply saying yes or no. And that you don't need to make some oath to make the truth of what you're saying stronger or more believable. Now, many of you may remember, I do, that there was a time when a man's word and handshake sealed the deal. A man's word used to be solid. It was just as solid and binding as a written contract is today. If people followed this command of Jesus, just say a simple yes or no. It would, it would definitely clean up a lot of language, foul language, profanity that we hear in society today. But unfortunately, profanity would, would, would you know, if that happens, profanity would be, be like a speech impediment. It's like, you know, something that we just, we can't stop, we can't help. But it is possible to talk intelligently and forcibly, forcefully, that is without having to make oaths, you know, swearing to God all through our conversation. There are decent ways of expressing ourselves and getting our point across with passion that doesn't dishonor or profane God's name. You know, and and, and profanity is not a mark of, of, you know, of, of, being macho or, or, or mark of manhood. It's a sign of weakness. Profanity shows a lot of disrespect for God and it's an insult to the person that you're talking to. It shows a lack of respect. And if our conversation includes profanity, Jesus said here at the end of verse seven, thir- at 37, it's evil. Notice what he said. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more, then these, if it's more than no and more yet, it's from the evil one. It's from the devil. Jesus says that profanity is prompted by evil character. Profanity comes from the mind from, from bad minds, bad manners, bad temper, bad disposition, and a poor respect from God, for God. Not only that, this warning suggests that those who have to use profanity aren't trustworthy. And usually the more profanity a person uses, the less one can be trusted. The more a person insists by the use of profanity that he's telling the truth, the less you can believe him because profanity and lying go hand in hand. The more a person insists by the use of profanity that he's telling the truth, the less you can believe him. Because again, the, the, the profanity and the lying go hand in hand. The more the profanity, the more the lying. If the person uses the Lord, think of it. If the person uses the Lord's name in vain and has no problem with it, hey, they'll lie too. Jesus said, whatever is more than this, a simple yes or a simple no, is from the evil one. And profanity, the profanity can be traced back to Satan as the source. Especially language that would profane and dishonor God's holy name. You see, Satan is not in the business of speaking good about God. He's not in the business of honoring God. He's not in the business of respecting God. He encourages profanity. And the way he perverts scripture, like he did in the wilderness, he won't hesitate for a moment to, to, to you know, give irreverent speech when it comes to God remember when he was dialoguing with, with Eve in the garden Satan told Eve you won't surely die what was he doing he was saying to, saying to Eve God's a liar he was showing disrespect God's a liar Eve he didn't say you will die and then he told her that you'll be like God and he was saying God's not telling you everything you'll be like him He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. See, Satan is not in the business of honoring God and respecting God and telling the truth about God. Satan was making God out to be untru- untrustworthy and a liar. So in closing, the contrast that Jesus gave here in the Sermon on the Mount simply says, clean up the mouth. Make our mouths honor God. And James repeated what Jesus said. James said, Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. James five twelve. And then in Proverbs 8, 6-9, Solomon said, Listen, listen. For I will speak of excellent things and from the opening of my lips will come right things or my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain. That is clearly open. uh, No confusion to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. In other words, what Solomon is saying here is that you can trust my words. And people should just be able to trust what we say because we tell them and because it's a simple yes and a simple no. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Father, help us to be men and women of character, Lord. Men and women of reputation, good reputation, Lord. And Father, let our yes be yes and our no be no, Father. And Father, may we be known for our honesty and our integrity for what we say, God lord if we say something people can believe it if we say we're going to be somewhere at a certain time we'll be there god lord help us to be men and women of that kind god lord again honest and true father we pray that you would just help us god to just again we don't need to embellish the truth god we don't need to add to it we don't need to make oaths father we don't need to use god's name in vain god we don't have to swear upon family members or, or anything else, God. But, Lord, let may we be known as honest people, Father. And, Lord, we just thank you for this word. And, Father, we just pray now that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Christ, Father, that, that, that want to become that type of person, God, that doesn't have to lie or, or, or uh, again, embellish the truth, Father but want to come to know the truth, Lord. The truth is Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) Truth is Christ. It's found only in him. And when he comes into our life, he makes us honest people, men and women of integrity. No No more lying. No more profanity. But through our lips, may we glorify and praise God. If you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, as we worship, you get up out of your seat, make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together.